Appendix 1 of Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josh Broussard. Home Education Series, Volume 3. School Education by Charlotte A. Mason Appendix 1 Questions for the Use of Readers Chapters 1 through 11 Chapter 1 Docility and Authority in the Home and School 1. In what points are there better relations between children and their elders than there were a generation or two ago? 2. Characterize the elder generation of parents. 3. What of ill-guided homes? 4. Give an example of Martinet rule. Name some notable men who grew up under such rule. 5. Compare the arbitrary parent now with the arbitrary parent of the past. 6. Was arbitrary rule a failure? 7. What thought should encourage our own efforts? 8. Show that arbitrariness arose from limitations. 9. That it is one cause of the reticence of children. 10. In what way has the direction of philosophic thought altered the relations of parents and children? 11. What effect has the doctrine of the infallible reason upon authority? 12. Show that English thought again proclaims the apotheosis of reason. 13. What is the final justification of the idea of authority? 14. Why is the enthronement of human reason the dethronement of the highest authority? 15. Show that the spread of an idea is quick as thought. 16. Why has the notion of the finality of human reason become intolerable? 17. On what grounds would you say that authority and docility are fundamental principles? 18. Show that self-interest does not account for the response of docility to authority. 19. Show that the work of the rationalistic philosophers was necessary. 20. Show that they hold a brief for human freedom. 21. Describe the way in which the education of the world seems to be carried on. 22. Show the danger of the notion that authority is vested in persons. 23. Show that a person in authority is under authority. Chapter 2. Docility and Authority in the Home and School. Part 2. How Authority Behaves. 1. Show, by example, that it is easy to go wrong on principle. 2. Distinguish between authority and autocracy. 3. How does autocracy behave? 4. Show that it is the autocrat who remits duties and grants indulgences. 5. How does authority behave? 
6. Give a half dozen features by which we may distinguish the rule of authority. 7. What are the qualities proper to a ruler? 8. Distinguish between mechanical and reasonable obedience. 9. Show the use of the former. 10. Show how acts of mechanical obedience help a child to the masterly use of his body. 11. How is the man who can make himself do what he wills trained? 12. Why is the effort of decision the greatest effort of life? 13. Show how habit spares us much of this labor. 14. Show how the habit of obedience eases the lives of children. 15. How does authority avoid cause of offense? 16. Show that alert authority in the home is a preventative force. 17. Show how important the changing of thoughts, diverting, is in the formation of habit. 18. Show that children, too, exercise authority. 19. What question might parents put to themselves daily as an aid to the maintenance of authority? Chapter 3. Masterly Inactivity 1. Contrast our sense of responsibility with that held in the 50s and 60s. 2. Show that the change in our point of view indicates moral progress. 3. What kind of responsibility presses heavily at present upon thoughtful people? 4. Show that anxiety is the note of a transition stage. 5. Why does a sense of responsibility produce a fussy and restless habit? 6. Why should we do well to admit the idea of masterly inactivity as a factor in education? 7. What four or five ideas are contained in this idea of masterly inactivity? 8. What is Wordsworth's phrase? 9. What is the first element in this attitude of mind? 10. Show that good humor is the second element. 11. That self-confidence is also necessary. 12. What may mothers learn from the fine, easy way of some fathers? 13. Show that confidence in children also is an important element of masterly inactivity. 14. Why must parents and teachers be omniscient? 15. Show why masterly inactivity is necessary to the bringing up of a child whose life is conditioned by fate and free will. 16. What delicate poise between fate and free will is to be aimed at for the child? 17. Show the importance of a sound mind in a sound body to the parent. 18. What may we learn from the quality which all the early painters have bestowed upon the pattern mother? 19. Give one or two practical hints for tired mothers. 20. Why is leisure necessary to children's well-being? 21. 
what is the foundation of the masterly inactivity we have in view? Chapter 4. Some of the Rights of Children as Persons 1. Why should children be free in their play? 2. In what respect are organized games not play? 3. Why should we beware of interfering with children's work? 4. Show that children must stand or fall by their own efforts. 5. Show the danger of a system of prodding. 6. How far may we count upon the dutifulness of boys and girls? 7. How far should children be free to choose their friends? 8. To spend their pocket money? 9. To form their opinions? 10. Show that spontaneity is not an indigenous wild flower. Chapter 5. Psychology in Relation to Current Thought 1. Characterize the educational thought of the 18th century. 2. Show that we, too, have had a period of certainty. 3. Account for the general dissatisfaction we labor under now. 4. By what tests may we discern a working psychology for our own age? 5. Illustrate the fact that the sacredness of the person is among the living thoughts of the age upon which we are being brought up. 6. On what grounds do we demand of education that it should make the most of the person? 7. How is the solidarity of the race to be reckoned with in education? 8. Show that the best thought of any age is common thought. 9. Discuss Locke's states of consciousness. 10. Show that this theory does not provide for the evolution of the person. 11. How does modern psychological psychology compare with Locke's theory? 12. How does Professor James define this psychology? 13. Show that this definition makes the production of thought, etc., purely mechanical. 14. How far is this assumption unjustifiable materialism? 15. What is Professor James's pronouncement about what is called the new psychology? 16. Illustrate the fact that a psychology which eliminates personality is dreary and devitalizing. 17. By what signs may we recognize the fact when the new psychology becomes part of our faith? 18. Show that this system is inadequate, unnecessary, and inharmonious. 19. At what point does it check the evolution of the individual? Chapter 6. Some Educational Theories Examined 1. What do we owe to the schools of Pestalozzi and Froebel? 2. What is the source of weakness in their conceptions? 3. Compare make children happy and they will be good with be good and you will be happy. 4. Show the fundamental error of regarding man merely as part of the cosmos. 5. 
show that the struggle for existence is part of life, even to a child. 6. That any sort of transition violates the principles of unity and continuity. 7. Why is the Urbartian theory tempting? 8. Show that this theory treats the person as an effect and not a cause. 9. Show that the functions of education are overrated by it. 10. Show that this system of psychology is not in harmony with current thought in three particulars. 11. Show that educational truth is a common possession. 12. What are the characteristics of a child who is being adequately educated? 13. What, roughly speaking, is expressed in the word person? 14. Show how a person is like Wordsworth's cloud. 15. Describe an adequate doctrine of education. 16. Show how it is in touch with the three great ideas which are now moving in men's minds. 17. What would you say of personal influence in education? 18. What is implied in saying, education is the science of relations? 19. Why must teaching not be obtrusive? 20. What attitude, on the teacher's part, arises from the recognition of a child as a person? Chapter 7. Inadequate Theory of Education 1. Give, roughly, a definition of a human being. 2. What would you say of his capacities? 3. What of his limitations? 4. What are the two functions of a human being under education? 5. Upon what physical process does education depend? 6. What do we know, or guess, of the behavior of ideas? 7. What appears to be the law of the generation of ideas? 8. Why do different ideas appeal to different minds? Illustrate by a figure. 9. Have we any reason for believing that an idea is able to make an impression upon matter? 10. Mention some of the reflex actions by which we respond to an idea which strikes us. 11. How does spirit correspond with spirit, human or divine? 12. Is a child born equipped with ideas? 13. What is the field open to the educationalist? 14. What may we learn from the fairly well-accredited story of the child of Nuremberg? 15. What does nature, unassisted, do for a child? 16. Show that the normal child has every power that will serve him. 17. In how far does the fullness of living depend on the establishment of relations? 18. Show that in our common way of treating science, for example, we maim a natural affinity. 19. Why should a child be taught to recognize the natural things about him?
20. How may he be helped to appreciate beauty? 21. Why should he begin with a first-hand knowledge of science? 22. Show that appreciation and exact knowledge each has its season. Chapter 8. Certain Relations Proper to a Child 1. How long would you give a child to initiate the range of relationships proper to him? 2. What dynamic relations should we have? 3. What power over material? 4. Show that he should have intimacy with animals. 5. What range of studies belong to the human relationships? 6. Give example of the awakening idea and its outcome. 7. Show that intelligence is limited by interests. 8. What should be the effect if children were fully realized as persons? 9. What effect has the psychology of the hour had upon the sense of duty? 10. Show that children used to get a fairly sound ethical training. 11. What is the case now? 12. Show that my duty towards my neighbor is the only sound basis for moral relations. 13. Does the sense of what is due from us come by nature? 14. Why should a child be taught something of self-management? 15. Why should children have intimacy with persons of all classes? 16. How may their fitness as citizens be promoted? 17. What are the three great groups of relations a child has to establish? 18. Which is the most important of these? 19. Show that religious sentiments or emotions do not fulfill duty towards God. 20. Distinguish between sentiment and duty. Chapter 9. A Great Educationalist 1. Illustrate the fact that Herbatian thought has more influence than any other on the continent. 2. Show that we, like Herbart, discard the faculties. 3. What does Herbert say of the pervasiveness of dominant ideas? 4. In what ways do we, too, recognize the influence of the zeitgeist? 5. How does Herbert enumerate the child's schoolmasters? 6. Show that we are one with him in realizing the place of the family. 7. What does Herbert say of the child in the family? 8. Show that we, too, hold that all education springs from and rests upon our relation to Almighty God. 9. Why should we not divide education into religious and secular? 10. What doctrine of the medieval church do we hold with regard to secular subjects? 11. Upon what, according to Herbart, does the welfare, civilization, 
and culture of a people depend. 12. Discussed the vast uncertainty that exists as to the purpose of education. 13. Shall we follow Rousseau, Basedow, Locke, Pestalozzi, Froebel in our attempts to fix the purpose of education? 14. Show, according to Dr. Rain, why not in each case? 15. Show that Herbart's theory is ethical, as is ours. 16. Quote this author on the obscurity of psychology. 17. But we have two luminous principles. What are they? 18. What is probably the root defect of the educational philosophy of this great thinker? Chapter 10. Some Unconsidered Aspects of Physical Training 1. Why does not our physical culture tend to make heroes? 2. What is the end of physical culture? 3. Show that this implies the idea of vocation. 4. What principle should check excess, whether in labor or pleasure? 5. Should parents bring up their children with rigor? Why not? 6. Write a short theme on each of the points suggested for consideration. 7. Show how large a part habit plays in physical training. 8. Prove that self-restraint is a habit. 9. Show the evil of the excessive exercises that lead to after-indulgence. 10. How may self-control in emergencies become a trained habit? 11. What have you to say of the physical signs of mental states? 12. Show that discipline must become self-discipline. 13. What is the part of parents in the holidays as regards to school discipline? 14. How do local habits point to the necessity for self-discipline even in a young child? 15. Show how alertness must be trained as a physical habit. 16. That quick perception is less a gift than a habit. 17. Write short themes on each of the subjects here suggested for consideration. 18. Show the value of inspiring ideas in initiating habits. 19. How could you use the idea of fortitude in education? 20. Of service? 21. Of courage? 22. Of prudence as concerned with the duty of health? 23. What is the highest impulse towards chastity we can have? 24. Write short themes on the subjects suggested. Chapter 11. Some Unconsidered Aspects of Intellectual Training 1. Show that we are somewhat law-abiding in matters physical and moral. 
2. That we are not so in matters intellectual. 3. What are the three ultimate facts which are not open to question? 4. Show that one or other of the three is always matter of debate. 5. What three fixed points of thought do we attain when we realize that God is, self is, and the world is? 6. Why is it necessary to recognize the limitations of reason? 7. Describe the involuntary action of reason. 8. Show, by examples, a. What the function of reason is, and b. What the function of reason is not. 9. Show, by examples, that wars, persecutions, and family feuds are due to the notion that what reason demonstrates is right and true. 10. Why should a child be taught the limitations of his own reason? 11. What mistake is commonly made regarding intellect and knowledge? 12. Show that the world is educated by knowledge given in repasts. 13. How would you characterize our own era as regards to the knowledge given to us? 14. How did the medieval church recognize the divine origin of knowledge? 15. Why is nothing so practical as a great idea? 16. Show the importance of forming intellectual habits. 17. Show that we trust blindly to the disciplinary studies for the formation of such habits. 18. Name and describe half a dozen intellectual habits in which a child should be trained. 19. Show that progress in the intellectual, as in the Christian life, depends upon meditation. 20. Show that a child must have daily sustenance of living ideas. How do we err in this respect? 21. Make some remarks upon the literature proper for children. 22. Illustrate the fact that the intellectual development of children is independent. 23. By what law do children appropriate nourishing ideas? 24. What, then, is the part of parents and teachers? 25. What failing on the part of parents is often fatal to intellectual growth. 26. Write a few remarks on each of the subjects suggested in connection with the intellectual life of children. 27. What was the educational aim of Plato? End of Appendix 1, Chapters 1 through 11. Recording by Josh Broussard.